And the theme of this afternoon is keeping things hot. We don't want to be get into that horrible situation of being lukewarm. Don't want to be, as, as Steve was describing earlier, people who are becoming less spiritually mature. But want to be those who get increasingly mature, which means getting increasingly hot for Jesus. So we're going to be thinking about staying hot in mission, in doctrine, and in worship. And uh, to kick us off is the uh, legendary Mr. Ben Davis. today. When I was young, I used to preach without notes, but my memory isn't what it used to be, and uh, my memory isn't what it used to be. <laughs> and the other thing, I'm really grateful that you've done me the honor, because I've got 20 minutes to speak, and you obviously believe in miracles. <laughs> But um, I'm grateful for the honor because uh, if you receive in faith what I'm going to tell you, it's going to radicalize your life. And that means it's going to radicalize your society. I want to start off with this declaration. The Spirit of the Lord is now upon me because I'm anointed and appointed to preach the gospel to the poor to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free, to heal the sick, sight to the blind. And the second declaration is this, the Spirit of the Lord is now upon you, for you are anointed and appointed to preach the gospel to the poor, to give sight to the blind, to set the captives free, to deliver people from demons. And that's going to change you, your family, and your churches, if you receive it by faith, and your society. I once went to preach, many churches have only been asked once, and uh, I went to preach, and I got there very early, and I was going around. This woman said to me, it is highly unusual for the minister to speak to us before the meeting. So I said, I am a highly unusual speaker. And I got to a guy and he, he went, I said, I, I'm the preacher for today. He obviously didn't know who I was. I didn't know who he was. And he said, I always go to sleep during the sermon. <laughs> well, I said, you're not going to go to sleep in my sermon. Now, listen. And I said to him, in the unlikely event that you do, I said, what's your name? He goes, like, Fred Bloggs. I'm going to call your name out. Whether you're hot or cold this afternoon, weather-wise, just don't go to sleep. <laughs> I'll prophesy over you. <laughs> so, when does my 20 minutes start? <laughs> Not yet. Minutes <laughs> 10 minutes ago. Now listen, listen, I want you to just think personal. I want you to think your local church because we all know the score. We can be hyped up here. We can go to amazing conferences, hear great preachers. At the end of the day, it's worked out where you live. In your family. By the way, excellent to give us a comment about the importance of the family. I want to say this. I've got my daughter, one of my daughters here. By the way, before she was born, I was seven foot tall and had black hair. <laughs> she wore me down and turned me white. <laughs> anyway, I've got my daughter here with Howard, and they've got their son here. And I, I, I'm not gloating. I'm deeply grateful to God. My wife's here. I'm deeply grateful to God. We've got three generations here. Yes, God. Because God, that's God. Right. Six deceptively simple statements how to keep missional hot. I don't like the word missional. I think it's a, it's a fad word. You can go to missional conferences and missional churches and missional, listen to missional preachers. I think it's a fad word. It can be a fad word. I think it's a reactionary word to attractional. Listen, we want to be both missional and attractional. And I think it's a reaction word to um, 
evangelism. Listen, I purposely quoted Isaiah 61 because evangelism was always meant to be comprehensive. It was never meant to be the narrow thing that I was brought under, come and be saved. It was, it was always meant to be total. So here are six points. Number one, to keep missional heart, to keep evangelism heart, to keep looking out to it heart. And if you ask the question, by the way, why? It's because we have a propensity to be inward-looking. We have a propensity to be incredibly selfish. We have a propensity to have a sense of occasion for ourselves. God has birthed us to have a sense of, a, a sense of occasion for other people. Number one, soak yourselves in the Bible. You see, 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Three weeks ago, now I'm, I'm a, I get up early, drives my wife mad, she says, for goodness sake, get out of bed. I up at half past four this morning. It's not a spiritual thing, sort of it is, but it's me anyway. But I've, I've honed it, because I, I just see, listen, what you are in private, we are in public. I went to bed the other night, with a woman who had eaten garlic at this do at Maidenhead. I got to bed a bit later than her. I opened the door. I mean, you could have struck a match in a place where <laughs> the place where it exploded. And listen, what's in you just comes out of you, whether you're sleeping or whatever. And listen, the word says what you listen to this, the word says what you hear in private. You will declare on the housetops. You won't be able to help it. You are who you are. You keep a, a front of but ultimately breaks. I, I'm reading the Bible. I don't know what part I was reading. And God convicted me about an attitude I had to a woman. Now, it wasn't my wife. It was somebody else. I, could, I, I can't stand her. She said something to me a few years ago, uh, since I retired, and I instantly took a dislike to her. And uh, I've avoided her. Terrible, isn't it? That's me. And God said to her, just love her. Well, I never see her because she goes to the morning meetings in Bracknell. I'm preaching most mornings. And when I'm not preaching, I come here and try to avoid who is preaching in Bracknell. And, uh, but I go to the evening. Don't, please don't tell the guys that. And, uh, <laughs> and I, go to, I go to the evenings in Bracknell. But this particular day, Mo and I went to the morning and I'm going out after the half past nine, and this woman's coming in. Hello, I said, it's so wonderful to see you, because God had just released me to do it. She's posh, middle class, reserved, all together. And she said, thank you for speaking to me. I'm just saying, soak yourself in the Bible. You've got something to say. You've got something to give away. And said, I'm glad you spoke to me. Can I feel angry this morning? I thought, grief. And then she said, in fact, I feel pissed off. I went, <laughs> I, I, I tried not to show it. I remember thinking, even middle class people are crude underneath. <laughs> and then she told me, I said, oh, why do you feel like that? I wanted to say, I wanted to say the word back and it was an opportunity to say it, you know. <laughs> But I didn't. I said, why do you feel like that? And she said, she started unloading a really sad thing in her family. And I was able to listen to it. And I say, let me pray for you. I, I mean, I, I feel I restored something in her. If you want to be outward looking, if you want to keep missional heart, soak yourself in the Bible. Because when you're on your own, and you're soaking yourself in the Bible, you're listening to what God is saying, because the Bible is a declaration of who God is, what his values are, what his vision is, how big he is. And it's a declaration of who Jesus is and who the Holy Spirit is. And the Bible is a declaration of what human nature is like. If you want to keep it hot, listen, soak yourself in the Bible. You'll need ruthless discipline. You will. You're going to have to determine when are you going to soak yourself. Every day. Where are you going to do it? I have a little place in my house where I sit. And I, 
for me, up in the morning because by the time about half past seven comes, the phone starts ringing and, and so on. Now, if you're not a morning person, you're going to have to do it in the evening. But all I say, you're going to be ruthless because the devil will send you people who will be great distractors. Soak yourself in the Bible. Have a woman who forgot, she forgets that I'm no longer the senior pastor. She keeps ringing me. I'm saying, for goodness sake, woman, I've retired nine and a half years. In the end, I said, please don't ring me before eight o'clock in the morning. She said, you get up early. But yes, but not to talk to you. I get up to talk to God. I'm telling you. She doesn't get the message. She starts phoning me at night. I said, please don't phone me after a half a day. I'm thinking of going to bed. True. You have to be ruthless. You know that's true, don't you? I go to a house group. House groups drive me absolutely insane. Such a load of drivel that's talked in house groups. <laughs> but I go to keep my feet on the ground, but at 10 to 10, I get up to go. They start laughing. And I said, yes, I know. You think the old man's going to bed. I said, I'm going to bed. Do you know why? Because when they sleep in the morning, I'm soaking myself in God. I'm not bragging. I couldn't do it without it. Number two. Have faith in the sovereignty of God. Acts 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout, God-fearing. He gave generously to all, to those in need, and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, now you know this story. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa. Bring them back. A man named Simon who's called Peter. He stayed with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. You know the next bit of the story? Peter's waiting for to have his meal done. Ha ha. I just agree with that sort of thing. Peter was wondering about the meaning. He had this vision. He's wondering about the meaning of the vision. The men sent by Cornelius found out where the Simon's house was and they called and all that. Now listen. If there had been some good little Christians in that street, they wouldn't have it. And he said, you know, something big is happening now. They wouldn't have had a clue. They would have hardly believed it. Correct? Sovereignty of God. Keep missional hot. Believe in the sovereignty of God. That even when you're sinning, and the reason why we get convicted when we're sinning because God's on our case all the time. Even when we're sinning, God in his sovereignty is doing the thing. We want to keep missional heart. Well, just believe that even when you're having a bad day, that God is on the rampant move down your street, up your road, in your cul-de-sac. We've got so much in, in the Bible to tell us that is true. So people say to me, how do you keep going? Preaching and preaching year in, year out at Bracknell for 43 years, and now the next nine, and long before I left home, I was preaching. How does it keep going? Because somewhere along the line, God said to me, I'm a bit bigger than you, Benjamin, and when you're sleeping, I'm working. Sovereignty of God. Some of you give up because you don't have a big enough view. God is sovereign. How much time have I got, Pete? Uh, two minutes. Two minutes? You can't tell the time. <laughs> That's why I asked you, Pete. Hey, look at Mark 4. Look at Mark 4, verses 26. Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. That's human responsibility. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. He doesn't know how. Mystery is part of the sovereignty of God. You're with me on this? Yes. Mystery is part of the sovereignty of God. I can say there's going to be fruit from what I'm saying to you now because the Bible says so. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the sea sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. I don't need to go back to Bracknell and think, Have I, was I good? Did people appreciate it? Once I'm pouring out the word of God to you, there's bound to be fruit from it. Number three. I'm trying my best here. Leaders have got to do it, and they've got to do it first. Why? Because you leaders are great talkers. You're not so great doers. Leaders are like that. We think, when we said it, it's done. 
And anyway, some of you leaders might say, really, Ben, you're talking about evangelism. I am not an evangelist. That's got nothing to do with it. Why? Because 2 Timothy 4, 5 says this, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. To you preachers who say, well, Ben, I haven't got your type of gift. I understand that because I'm forever listening to people. I'm thinking, I wish I had gifts like that. I haven't got them. But you get up and do the work of an evangelist. When you're preaching, no matter what the subject is, get the gospel into it. You can do it. I could speak on this for an hour. How to get the gospel into a sermon that is to do with marriage or to do with money or whatever. And you can preach Jesus in it and make an appeal and see people born again. And if you want to keep evangelism hot preachers, just keep evangelizing. And bury the excuses. Let me say about leaders, I'll tell you one way to do it. Just talk to people. Leaders don't talk to people. Leaders are elitist. They have their little table where they'll have food together. They go to conferences and they sit together. Sometimes they don't even sit with the people. Leaders, just get amongst people. Do you know, I, I go into churches, because I go around churches, and I find uh, I get there. I want famous occasion. I, there were people milling together, putting out chairs. I get there early. They just look at me. And I know some of them are leaders. But then the leader comes in who knew me. And he comes in, hug, hug. And then everybody came alive. Oh, you're the preacher. <laughs> Thank you. Listen. Listen, just talk to people. Say hello. Say good morning. Say, you're looking terrible or whatever. Just say something. <laughs> when you'll ask who the hairdresser, just say something to them. Don't say that, please. <laughs> Leaders just need to get on and do it. I'm moving on to number four. By all means, save some. How to keep evangelism hot, how to keep missional hot in your church. By all means, save some. Now listen, that comes from 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22. To the weak I became weak, to, to win the weak I've become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. You can apply this in all kinds of ways. I'm just going to apply it in this way. By all means, save some. And I'm talking about individuals. What can you do? By all means. I have a favorite means of doing things. It's giving out leaflets. I've had great discussions with my son-in-law Howard on this one. Because uh, Howard would suggest, and he's, he would represent many of you, we advertise on the website. Listen, what percentage of unbelievers do you think that get up in the morning with glee and say, I'm going to surf a Christian church website? <laughs> I don't think too many, would they? Well, if they do, well, revival is coming. <laughs> anyway, th there's a couple of our, from our church in Brackle. I'm still part of it, the church. Today, they're in Zambia. Been there for about five years in Lusaka, working as, I, I, I'm going to use an old-fashioned term, working as missionaries. Let me tell you what happened to them. We give out leaflets. One Saturday morning, the, the, the door knocker, letterbox rattles. The woman's out. The bloke's in. He's not a Christian. She's backslidden. We don't know any of this, of course, until we hear the story. She comes home from shopping. He says to her, you ought to go to this church. She went to the next day and got restored. She comes home and she says, you ought to go to this church. He went the next, way, next week and got saved. Today they're in Zambia. A humble card. <laughs> right? Yeah, you're, you're not going to repent. I know you too well. But listen, 
Listen, what is your way of doing it? Don't say, oh, I, I don't believe in that. By all means, what is one of your means? Go and do it. I'm not talking corporately at the moment. I'm talking personally because the corporate always follows the personal. What we are personally will what make what the church will become corporately. If you're dead, you just add the death on a Sunday morning. How's time going? <laughs> Thank you. Hey, let me tell you. You know, you're, you know what I... Let me tell you. Let me tell you this one. We're, we're, in, a, we're in a youth-led culture these days, aren't we? Are we not? And I hear in Bracknell, nothing for the over 55s. Don't be mad. So that let's do something. I tell you what I did. Because when you're retired and you hand over the button, you really do a hand over the button. I'm in the same church. So I start a midweek meeting. I negotiated with the senior pastor. I remember thinking, if you say no, I'm still going to do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, so I start this midweek meeting. I tell you, we serve, we serve a bit of food. We've got to worship. Some of you would call it naff worship. I, I tried to get some help from some of the staff, and I couldn't get any help from staff in the church. I said to this woman who's on the staff, just, I, I said, you know, I, I just, nobody helped me. She said, oh, I'll tell you why. She said, your meeting's a fuddy-duddy meeting. I was really mad. I said, God, did you hear that? Anyway, <laughs> n- today... I mean, we serve food, we have a bit of worship, and then I preach. Today, we have between 60 and 70 come into the midweek meeting. And at Easter, we had 107. At Christmas, we had 150. And we got the, I saw this black woman sing in a Baptist church in Streatham, South London. She was absolutely brilliant. I said, I can't give you any money, but will you please sing? I mean, it was fabulous. What did that come under? By all means, save some. By all means, save some. Don't lose it because I've lost it. (laughs) Just don't lose it. I'm deadly serious about this, folks. Talking about being crazy, I'm desperate to see people saved. And I'm desperate to see you fulfilling the call of God in your life that's enunciated in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. You are a chosen people. Listen to this. You are a royal priesthood. You need to believe in the priesthood of all believers. You can go and do the jolly thing yourself. You can have access to God representing people and you can look at people representing God. You know the theory of it and the theology of it. Live it out. Don't say, I'm not allowed to do this in my church. It's only the cliquey people or the, you know, the, the, the people of the pastor likes. You can do something yourself. You can do it at home. I happen to do this meeting on the premises. Hey, number five. Do you want to keep missional hot? Take your opportunities. Now, this comes from Acts 3. You know Acts 3? You better know it. Peter and John go in the temple to pray. You know, whistling away. And then this, this guy accosts them. Money! Now, Peter could have thought, you filthy little rat. Could have thought, just ignore him. You know when you're collecting money in the street and people don't want to give you money so they, they ignore you as if you don't exist. Have you done any of that? Collective? No. Collective charity and people. You can imagine Peter and John. He takes his opportunity. Look at me. He looks expecting to have money. You know the story. He goes, I've got no money, but in the name of Jesus Christ and Nazareth, get up and walk. You say, you can't do that these days. Can't you? Just before last Christmas, 12 months, Mo and I were visiting a couple of two children. And we said, how are the kids? And they said, our daughter is in serious problems. She's terrified of fire. Uh, she couldn't sit in front of this log burner. She don't, and it's just for Christmas. She wants candles at Christmas. She can't be in the kitchen when the cooking's going on. So I said, do you mind if I pray for her? 
She wasn't there. I'm praying. And then God said, don't pray. Speak to her. So let's call her name Frida. I said, Frida, Jesus is speaking to you. Be delivered from fear of fire. The next morning, we get a, an email. It made me phone them back immediately. On Saturday morning, it's a Friday night, on Saturday morning, the girl got up and she said, Dad, like the fire, I want to sit in front of it. She was gripped by fear. And she said, like the candles, I want to have candles. And then she said, I want to do the breakfast this morning. Listen, we need to take our opportunities. We were in France, Mo and I, last week, and uh, the couple who were there, who we were staying with, they said there's a couple around from, coming around from church, but they haven't been in church for a couple of years. And uh, I said, oh, why's that? She said, well, look, the woman's struggling a bit. So anyway, this couple come, and uh, I'm always asking people questions, and I didn't, I didn't know what was coming, really. And then this woman starts really unloading. Uh, she's depressed, and, you know, I can't go to church, and, oh, dear me, and it's so awful. And I just waited till she took a breather, and I leaned across the table, and I said, just look at me. Jesus can heal you. And I said, Jesus is healing you. Let me tell you, if you can't do it in your friend's house, you'll never do it on the street. If you can't do it to fellow Christians, you'll never do it on the street. You can sing all you like about being missional. If we can't do it amongst friends, you will never do it amongst your enemies. So you better learn with your friends. And for the first time for a couple of years, Mo, was it? They came to church the next morning. Lovely church in France, a bit chaotic, but it was very nice. And... Uh, <laughs> She sits behind me, and in one of the breaks, she touches me, and she's a hairdresser, but she had to give it up because she's, and uh, I think she's going to tell me she's delivered, and she said, I've been looking at your hair, it's, <laughs> it's the most wonderful head of hair, and the colour of your whiteness, and I'm thinking, tell me something important, and then she said, and you've got beautiful blue eyes, I thought I'd only hear this, and then she said, you're so inspirational. I said, I'm telling you, Jesus is healing you. This in the middle of the meeting. I said, just look at me. Jesus is healing you. Jesus is healing you. I thought, listen, if I don't say it, who will say it to her? Somebody's going to have to say, Jesus can heal you, is healing you. So exciting. Take your opportunities. I'm sitting in the care center recently. Round, don't worry about the time. I'm sitting around there. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm just telling you these stories to tell you, any old fool can do this. A bloke comes in, I haven't seen him for ages. He's early, middle 20s. He looks terrible. I'm calling him, I, Fred, it's just brilliant to see you. Come in and sit at my table for a minute. So I said, uh, you haven't been around. Have you been back in His Majesty's appointments or apartments? So he goes, no, not this time. He said, I've been using. Now, what am I going to do? Oh, no answer to drugs. I want to be missional. I want to be evangelistic. I want to take the opportunities. The Bible's full of people who took opportunities and God happened to turn up. I said, Fred, you're a fool. I said, these people are selling to you not because they love you, they want your money. I said, just sit here a minute. He sit at me. I said, look at me. This is gospel. I said, look at me, Fred. Do you know what I'm going to do? He goes, no. Well, I said, I'm going to speak into your life. I said, Fred, Jesus Christ is delivering you because Jesus, the name of Jesus, is more powerful, is bigger, is more comprehensive than the name drugs. Do you think, you can't say that to a bloke. Well, I said it. <laughs> and then I said to him, are you coming to the men's meeting? We're having a men's conference, rather. May the 6th. You made their blokes. You come to it. 15 quid. Now, <laughs> and I'm one of the preachers. And I say to this guy, are you coming? And he goes, I would come, but I got no money. I said, it's 15 quid. Will you come if I pay for you? He says, yes. Well, I said, you better, because I'm not wasting 15 quid on you. I just talked to him like that. So I just booked him in there and then. Take your opportunities. Now, those are my opportunities. You've got different opportunities. Not long ago, I was invited to speak at four funerals. Do you know what I find? Ministers say to me, charismatic ministers, now, nah, we're not into funerals. 
Well, get ready, because you'll have one yourself one of these days. So I spoke at four funerals. I don't know whether people got saved of them or not. I just took my opportunities. I'm just telling you this because these aren't stories of yesteryear. They're stories in the last month or so. Mo and I, months and months ago, were invited to a high-profile wedding at the Carrot Center two Saturdays ago. We said yes. I shouldn't have because I didn't go. Because in the meantime, I had an invitation to go to Pembrokeshire to preach for 10 minutes, double, speak for 10 minutes at the end of a barn dance when a, a woman, a widow, was 80 years of age. So I went to this couple, I said, we're not coming to your wedding. I cleared him, my wife. I said, and I told him, I said, I'd rather go and preach to 130 or 40 people, most of whom are unbelievers. The groom was quite happy. He said, yeah, and his, and his bride. We go down there. It's absolutely brilliant. My opportunity, you have different opportunities. You know, girls, you have different opportunities. I don't know what they are. <laughs> but I know you have an ability to talk. So just talk. Talk about Jesus. Talk. Listen, talk to unbelievers as if they're believers. Uh, seriously, talk to unbelievers as if they believe every word that comes out of your mouth. Because if you suggest when you're taking your opportunities a them and us attitude, you will offend them. Talk to them. And if they say, oh, I, I don't really know if I believe that, say, well, I'll pray for you. And uh, time has gone. Just, just sorry, listen, don't, I, I won't be answered, I know. I may not be alive. And, um, <laughs> number six. Number six. Now, this is for senior leaders only. Number six. Listen carefully. Put the word missional on every agenda. Elders' agendas. Deacons' agendas. Uh, house group agendas. House groups are always inward-looking. That's why they're so awful. <laughs> Listen, you guys, you senior guys, get the word missional stroke evangelism stroke outward looking, whatever you want to put on every agenda of every group in your church. Old people's groups, young people's groups. And then inspect it. Because people do what you inspect, not what you suspect. And one final word, and finally, finally, elders' agendas, don't stick the word missional at the bottom of the agenda because you'll run out of time and you'll never come to it. How do I know that? Because I led a church for 43 years and that was the one thing that was often giving way because there's something more important. Don't make feeding the fat cats more important than thinking the thin beggar on the street. There you are. <laughs> well, Ben, uh, as you might well be dead before we get a chance to ask you again, we, <laughs> we will forgive you for overrunning. <laughs> Why, why don't we just take, just take two minutes to turn to one another? Just what was most convicting for you personally in that torrent of gold that Ben has just poured out? Just take two minutes to process that.
Well, okay, everybody, we need to start the next session. Thank you, Ben, for an absolutely uh, fantastic session. I have the joy of uh, working with Lex, and uh, Lex is a big Ben fan, and uh, kind of growing up, I'd, I'd get to hear different stories of things that Ben did, which are, are legend, and... Uh, so the first time I met Howard, uh, I knew that Howard uh, was Ben's son-in-law. So I said to Howard, I said, Howard, what was it like asking Ben for Naomi's hand in marriage? And Howard said, well, actually, I took Naomi with me. So I, I, I thought, good move. So... He asks Ben for Naomi's hand in marriage, and according to Howard, Howard said that Ben looked straight at Naomi, didn't even look at him, and said, he's old and he's in debt. He may get out of debt, but he isn't getting any younger. It so didn't disappoint. It just, the legend continues, a living legend. My brief in this session is the topic keeping doctrine hot, and I'm going to keep this short. How do we keep doctrine hot? We exegete Song of Songs. That's, that's, that's how we keep it hot. Uh, Matt wasn't happy with that, so I've got to fill in a little bit more than that. Um, in uh, 1 Timothy 4, uh, Paul charges Timothy to watch his life and his doctrine closely, because if he does that, Paul says, you're going to save yourself and you're going to save your hearers. Uh, Paul was calling Timothy to nothing less than white-hot passion for doctrine, to have a firm grip of the Word of God, because if he didn't, if he lost his grip on the Word of God, it would have a disastrous effect, not just on his own life, but a disastrous effect on those that he was responsible for caring for. Wayne Grudem defines doctrine as what the whole Bible teaches us today about a particular topic. So whenever churches or individual leaders say, I'm not really into doctrine, what they are really saying is, I'm not really into what God teaches on a particular topic, which is a rather strange statement to make. What is interesting is, if you study 1 and 2 Timothy, which is really Paul's counsel to his young protege, Timothy, it is really amazing just the quantity that Paul devotes to calling a leader who's carrying translocal responsibility, so who's in kind of senior leadership, how much papyrus Paul gives to uh, Timothy about the need to concentrate and focus on the Word of God. Let me just read some of them. 1 Timothy 4.13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. 2 Timothy 1.13, what you have heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. 2 Timothy 3, 13, uh, 14 to 16, but as for you, continuing what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know from those from whom you have learnt it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. 
correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time is coming when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. And friends, as we draw to close in this leadership time that we've got together, can we just feel the weight of the quantity of those instructions from Paul to Timothy? Just can we feel the weight of the quantity? This wasn't a one-off random head like I think you should kind of open your Bible occasionally. No, this was a repeated instruction and then charge for Timothy to take the Bible super, super seriously, to have a white-hot passion for the Word of God. It's very interesting that when we open up the book of Acts, what we discover is in, in Acts 6 that the 12 gather the disciples around them and they say, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word in order to wait on tables Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. I want to ask you this afternoon, what are you giving yourself to? What is is of first priority? What is, uh, if somebody had to describe your ministry, would they say, well, you know, this person is really giving themselves to the ministry of the word. Is that what senior leadership in your church is about? Really concerned about getting the word of God right? This isn't a downer on people who wait on tables. In fact, this is a major pastoral issue in Acts 6 that does need to be resolved. But what this verse does show us is that there's a priority, there's an importance, there's a first importantness of preaching the word and honoring what God's got to say. Surely what God has got to say is way more important and significant than what any of us would have to say. Martin Luther King uses the analogy of a thermometer compared to a thermostat. And he says in so many churches... They have resorted uh, to becoming thermometers, simply taking the temperature of the culture and then replicating the culture. Instead of becoming thermostats, which actually set the temperature, Paul warns Timothy that there is a time coming where people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear and friends, sadly, we, we are already at that point, are we not? We are already at that point where we just, like, culture, what do you believe on this topic? Okay, that's, that's, what, that's what we'll believe. We, we become echoes instead of becoming voices. And sometimes God needs to raise up people outside of the church just to pull the fire alarm so that we'd realize how far we are falling from orthodox truth. Matthew Paris, writing for the Times, Matthew Paris, I think, is the... 44th most influential homosexual in the United Kingdom. I don't know quite how they determined that, but that, that, that is one of his claims to fame. While writing for the Times, he chastises Christians for what he says is modifying their morality for fear of becoming isolated from changing public morals. He writes, it's time that convinced Christians stop trying to reconcile their spiritual beliefs with the modern age and understand if one thing comes through every account we have of Jesus' teaching is that his followers are not urged to accommodate themselves to the age but to the mind of God. Christianity is not supposed to be comfortable or feel natural, inclusive, moderate or sensible. Christianity is itching its way up a philosophical cul-de-sac. The church stands for revealed truth and divine inspiration or it stands for nothing. Wow! What clarity! Are we committed to the Word of God? Are we committed to divine truth and divine inspiration? Do we realize that either we stand for truth or we stand for nothing? 
In Isaiah 66 verse 2, God says the following, This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. Who's, who's the one God cares about? Who's the one that God esteems? One who is humble and contrite in spirit. One who trembles at my word. I think it was G.K. Chesterton who says there's been, there's been a change in humility. We used to be uncertain about ourselves, but certain about the truth. But now we are certain about ourselves and uncertain about the truth. And he wrote that in the 1960s, like a phenomenal insight. So we get lots of people say, well, I'm not really sure what the Bible says. I mean, who, who can really be sure? I mean, there, there's so many different voices. There's so many different interpretations. Of course you can know. If you exercise your mind, and, and more than that, if you humble yourself to God's word and you really sit under the word and say, God, I want to hear from you. I really want to obey what it says. You really can work it out. Don't, 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 don't make truth uncertain. Friends, as a movement of churches, we want to be those that submit to the Word of God. We want to be those that tremble at the Word of God. We want to be those that, that, that watch our lives and our doctrine closely, because if we do that, we're not just going to save ourselves, but we're going to save our hearers as well. I'm deeply grateful that I've grown up in a church that's just had a high value on the Word of God, that has honored the Word of God, that has faithfully preached unapologetically the Word of God week after week after week after week, month after month after month, year after year after year. We're not trying to be sexy. We're just trying to be faithful, committed to preaching God's Word. And yet, as we read God's Word, what we discover is that simply faithfulness in the past doesn't guarantee faithfulness into the future. In 2 Kings 22, there's this uh, really interesting thing that happens. The, the word of God, uh, word of, uh, the, the book of the law is found, and King Josiah hears the, the law for the first time and then is, is kind of cut to the heart. He tears his royal robe and immediately begins to introduce reforms and change in the nation in obedience to God. He hears the word of God, he believes the word of God, and uh, he begins to make the, the changes that are necessary. The Word of God takes root. But a mere 17 years later, Josiah's son, now King Jehoiakim, receives uh, the Word of the Lord via the prophet Jeremiah of pending destruction in Jerusalem. And we told that instead of tearing his royal robes and obeying the Word of God, what he does is he pulls out a penknife and he begins to cut the prophecy that was written and throwing pieces of papyrus into the fire. In a 17-year period, the king went from trembling at the word of God to actually throwing, burning the word of God. In a 17-year period, there is a radical decline. And friends, it's not good enough that we as leaders are committed and passionate to the Word of God. It is really important that by God's grace, we pass on that conviction to the next generation. Because in 17 years, we can have a congregation going from believing God's Word and being committed to God's Word and obeying God's Word to really just chucking it in the fire, to really not really taking it seriously. If you go to America, there's a, there's a museum that you can go to where... Um, you can find a Jefferson Bible, and what's really interesting about this Bible is that if you flick through the Bible, there are, various, there are various points in the Bible which has been cut out. Uh, when Jefferson read the Bible, he wasn't really big on sin, so whenever he saw the word sin, he actually cut out the word of the Bible. He didn't like hell. Hell was very offensive to him, so he cut out the word hell. And so you can look at this, this um, Bible that's, that's been edited uh, by Jefferson. And as a Christian, you can be like horrified, like how could somebody ever do that, actually cut words out of the Bible, until we think about some of our own approaches to the Bible. Of course, the Word of God doesn't mean that now. Whenever your position of what the Bible teaches is the opposite to the plain reading of Scripture, it's normally a clue that you're wrong. Just the heads up. Like when it says don't do something and you say, no, 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 actually, 
Actually, if you go into the Greek here, it means the exact opposite of this. It means you actually can do that. That's normally a sign that you're not really submitted in, in, in the way that you should be. And if you're a parent, you know what that's like. Like when you give your kid a really clear instruction and then they go like, oh, no, 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 sorry, Dad, we, we, we really thought you meant the exact opposite. Really? What's our heritage going to be? Is it going to be passing on a commitment to the Word of God, faithfully passing? Are, are, we, going to, are, are we going to be white hot for doctrine, really being committed that doing God, God's things God's way is really the best for us personally? And finally, it's best for those that would hear. I want to conclude by praying for those that are given to teaching the Word of God. So if you're given to teaching the Word of God, please stand. If you're a woman... Don't be embarrassed to stand. There are biblical appropriate context for that to happen. So if you are responsible for teaching God's word to others, I want to conclude by praying for you, and I want to read some verses to you from the word of God, that this would be your portion. In Deuteronomy 32, we hear the following. Listen, you heavens. And I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. And Lord, I want to pray for these folk that are given to teaching your word. Lord, I want to thank you for them. Lord, we thank you for the gift of the teacher. And Lord, I pray as these men and women are given to instruction, Lord, I pray that their teaching would fall like rain. Lord, I pray that their teaching would fall like rain. I pray that their words would descend like dew. Lord, we thank you that dew's like miraculous. There's no rain, there's no clouds, but we wake up in the morning and there's water on the plants. It just descends. Where does it come from? Lord, I pray that as people speak, their teaching would be like rain, but their words would be like dew, like showers on new grass, like the thing people need the very most. What does new grass need more than anything? It needs rain, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. Lord, I pray that as they give themselves to teaching, it wouldn't be in an environment that is hard and difficult. It wouldn't be like, like rain on the M25 that just bounces off. No, Lord, I pray it would be like rain on tender shoots, like those on new grass. Lord, I pray may their word come and may their word bring life. And Lord, may they save themselves and may they save their hearers. Lord, I pray as we teach your truth, we would teach ourselves. We would be submitted to your word. We would save ourselves, but we'd save our hearers. Lord, we pray for cities set on a hill. We pray for your light to come, your truth to come. We pray for communities garrisoned by truth that are able to bring your truth to the very ends of the earth. Amen. Amen.